Bears and Bigfoot say. Sometimes an amusement park dummy turns out to be a little bit more than just a dummy. And when that creepy dummy turns out to be human, it sounds like an episode of Supernatural or The X-Files. But it's actually true. Join us as we hear about the main outlaw who saw more of the world dead than he ever did alive. This is the story of Elmer McCurdy, a train robber whose death turned into a horror story about how people's quest for entertainment can sometimes outweigh their respect for the dead. So this is a story of Elmer McCurdy, right? And Elmer is an interesting man. And Shawnee's already laughing about this poor That's just guy. Because he's got like the perfect name. Elmer? I'm, I'm imagining like the ca- typical cowboy movie era. I don't know, was that mid-1800s maybe? Late. Like Late, late what, early 1900s. But whatever. Yeah. Okay. Elmer McCurdy. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Elmer. he's like the tech geek of today. Elmer but Fudd, he's a, man. But he's a, like, he kills people just because. Uh-oh. Just because he can't pow. He's not a gunslinger. He's just a tech geek wearing a cowboy hat well, that kills people. That's Elmer McCurdy in I my I kind of feel like you've halfway spoiled this story already. Well, I know nothing about the story. I know, but you kind of halfway did. All right, ready? Okay. The newspaper clipping <laughs> from June 27th, 1911 issue of the Muskegee. Muskegee? Muskogee. 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 I'm from New Hampshire. I don't know words. <laughs> um, the Muskogee Times Democrat is short and to the point. Arrested in Jersey City. It reads, New York, June 27th. A man believed to be Elmer J. McCurdy, alias Frank Curtis, wanted on a charge of holding up the Missouri Pacific train at Coffeyville, Kansas, March 23rd, is held in jail at Jersey City. And it's just like these six and a half lines that are smushed in between a tidbit about Charles T. Wayman, an American and the only American withdrawing from an air race in Europe <laughs> and a bit about Germany and how airship spies will be shot down to quote prevent the espionage in the skies and that's the news 1911 in the Muscogee right oh, they were all worried about blimps back then yeah man and Elmer shows up there in these six lines right yeah and then next to the clip is an advertisement for the Arnold twin sisters at the wigwam Featuring singing and dancing. So, so it's just like two hot sisters, twin sisters that <laughs> yes. sing and dance. Yeah, the wigwam. And the men are out there in the audience like freaking... Smoking their cigars. Oh um, my God. And that's 1911. And that's the setting for the story, right? Yeah. And those six lines squished in between all the other news. It's a really quiet beginning for a train robber, Elmer who would end up as this tale of pathos and horror and sadness. And we should probably really? do a second cue of music, but we won't. Um, so I want you to imagine this. Ready? Close your eyes, boo. Oh, I'm ready. Right. <laughs> I'm ready. An old locomotive is yeah. making its way through the American West. Again, the year 1911. 
So how was the locomotive? Is it still running on steam? Yeah, man, I don't know. Four <laughs> robbers, Warwick Jarrett, Lee Jarrett, Elmer McCurdy, and Ab Connor jump onto the passenger train, and they tell the engineer that he better separate that locomotive and the mail and the express cars and just keep going. They jump into the good car with all the stuff, and they, quote, loot at will. So did he separate them? Yeah, man. So Elmer... Elmer's in charge of cracking open the safe mm -hmm. in the train, something he has never done before. Yeah. So he uses a tiny bit too much nitro, yeah. and the door of the safe explodes across <laughs> the train. <laughs> it sounds like a, a comedy movie I so know, far. but it's real. And it's gonna... I know, it's so sad. <laughs> oh, it's gonna have like, no, it's you know... super sad. All right, oh so my God. $4,000. So they're, they're like, okay, well, we open the safe. But it melted all the silver inside of it. Mm -hmm. And so $4,000 of melted silver also exploded out into the corner of the rail car. And Elmer grabs a coal pick and he tries to pot, like, like pry the silver that's been shot into the walls out of the walls. Well, at least he's smart under pressure. But he fails. He can't get the silver out. So, like, they rob this train. They got totally muck it up. And so, as you know, all because of Elmer. As you know, a wow. fail like that tends to have some repercussions. So Walter and Elmer, who are a little brand new train robbing duo, basically, right? Yeah. They split up. They're like, I'm not working with you anymore, right? I understand Walter's point of view. Walter's like, you effed everything up. You know, he's like, what the hell did you do, Elmer? And he heads to Missouri. Elmer decides he might need a little name change now. Yeah. And he decides to start calling himself Frank. Frank Curtis. And he decides, you know, I'm going to try a little bit more of a, of a regular life. And he gets a construction job. And he meets another man. Another never-do-well man or ne'er-do-well and this guy's name is Amos Hayes. Amos. Another fantastic name. Yes. Amos is like, hey, Elmer, man, I'm going to go rob a bank in Kansas. You want in? I'll give you a cut. <laughs> Amos, much like Elmer, is not a robber, but he's just pissed off at the bank for denying him a loan. Understandable. Like, totally. Oh, God. How many, so, how many times have we said we're going to go rob a bank? Because Son of a bitch. I've always gotten my so common. But anyways, oh, so Elmer... play along there, babe. Sorry. So Elmer, Amos, and some other dude named Higgins, they go to the bank. They break apart a wall of the bank, and they see the vault. Yay, right? But they let Elmer do the nitro again. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did he burn up all the money this time? Well, we know it's not a good choice, right? So yeah. he runs a huge fuse through line, through the whole alley, into the hole where they can see the vault, right? Yeah. Sets the charge, and the explosion is just massive. Like city blocks probably got rocked. No, well, yeah. So according to the Seaton Time Star... It, quote, blew the entire outer door off the safe and threw it with terrific force against the front door of the vault. That vault door, with its iron frame, was blown out of place and across the room to the plate glass window. It plowed its way through the furniture, leaving everything in its path a complete wreck, end quote. Well, did they get the loot? Well, ready. Elmer, poor guy, 
He and his friend Amos rush back, right? But the damn inner door of the safe is still also. There was an inner door? There was an inner door. <laughs> and Elmer's like, my friends, let me try again. And he starts to set another nitro blast. But Higgins, like Higgins is the lookout. He's like, bro. Lights are going on all over the city right now, man. We got to get out. So they cut their losses, scoop up some gold and silver coins that were just in a counter tray on top of the safe, apparently, and they mount their horses and ride out of town. And the take, $150. What? Yes. They were so... still riding horses? <laughs> yeah, it was 1911, man. Did you? Oh, yeah, all right. Okay. So, obviously, Elmer's first two forays into a life of crime or not. He may not want to be the safe guy anymore. He seems to be okay with anything but being the safe guy. But, I mean, they haven't actually gotten caught yet. Oh, yeah, that's good. But so then they're like, well, that failed. We need to make some money. So they decide to steal the Osage Indian payments, which, you know, is lovely because, you know, hey, it's a Native American nation. They haven't had to deal with enough already, right? But now we have a bunch of white guys trying to steal their money. So these payments go on the Caddy Railroad, and they head out, you know, like the bad boys, Elmer and his little crew. Oh, they head out. Right? And they're going to make some money. if, like, They're like, we're going to get all these Indian payments, and if Elmer doesn't blow everything up with a nitro or melt it, we're going to be golden. So it's a Wednesday morning. It's 1 a.m., and the old locomotive is making its way through the American West, and the year still 1911. <laughs> but the problem is that they go to the place near Okisa, Oklahoma, that they expect the railroad to be, but instead of that train, it's an MKT passenger train number 23. Maybe they don't notice. Maybe they notice and they're like, crap, what the hell? They rob the train anyway, even though it is not the train full of Indian payments, right? They disconnect the mail car and the passenger car from the engine. They rifle through some things, and what do they get to their troubles? Well, according to the Bartlesville Enterprise, quote, the haul made by the rubbers was one of the smallest in the history of train <laughs> This gang sucks. <laughs> it's so sad. They failed to find as much as a copper cent in the safe in the express car. The express agent opened the door for them and allowed them to look in. They took 40 bucks in currency and a Hampton watch worth $25 from the mail clerk himself. A Kravnet coat, I don't know what a Kravnet coat is, worth $25 from the conductor. And from the train auditor, they took an automatic revolver. They also made away with two gallons of whiskey. And during the holdup, they knocked in the head of two kegs of beer and drank part of the contents. Jesus. So after the robbery, the paper says, the men escaped hastily. The best part of that haul was the two gallons of whiskey. I'm sure it probably was. And I like that they like got into the kegs. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, While oh, they're on the train. We might as well get drunk. <laughs> but the last line is the one that like cracks me up. Um, because they escaped. It says after the robbery, the men escaped hastily. But like it wasn't so hasty that they didn't stop and have some beer. They felt comfortable enough yeah, to have a little beer yeah, break. Yeah. I mean the train was just rolling through. <laughs> The deserted Midwest. So. so that train robbery, one of the smallest train robberies in history, set allegedly 50 law enforcement officers onto their trail. Holy crap. Yeah. Amos and Elmer split up because they're like, let's define. Elmer 
finds a ranch and hangs out with the employees and tells them he needs a place to sleep. And they're like, hey, my bro, go in the hay mo, which rhymes. And he goes to sleep there in the hay. And Elmer McCurdy, Elmer J. McCurdy, the alleged train robber, ends up being shot by a state officer, Stringer Fenton, in October of 1911. And um, apparently, Officer Fenton had a little bit of a fanboy in the reporter that really? was about to tear because, like, you have to listen to this article. It's from the Tulsa Daily Democrats, October 8th edition. Really? And it goes. Elmer J. McCurdy, alleged Katie train robber, shot by state officer Fenton. The sheriff and deputies who have been close on the heels of the bandits who held up and robbed an M.K. and T. train in this county Wednesday morning have returned with one corpse and one prisoner. The officers rounded up one of the supposed hold-up men Saturday morning in an old barn on the Big Canyon. A fierce battle ensued after which the dead body of the object of the chase was found in the barn. Two other arrests have been made. Leish Higgins of this county was brought in first, but no complaint has been filed against him. The other is Davis Sears, also a resident of the county. Um, he lives somewhere, blah, 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 near where the holdup occurs, right? Yeah. Um, and he had a cask of whiskey on him when the law enforcement caught up to him. Hell yeah. The dead man is said to be Elmer J. McCurdy, wanted in Kansas on a charge of holding up a train out of Coffeeville. Coffeeville. According to the advices received here last night by the police, this is where it gets lovey-dovey, Stringer Fenton, state enforcement officer, best revolver shot in the entire southwest <laughs> the man who captured harry star notorious highwayman and the hero of many other dangerous <laughs> conflicts with criminals shot and killed elmer oh. j mccurdy the alleged train robber in a fierce battle in massage county reporter might have, had a, might have had a little orgasm while he was writing that i think he definitely did under his desk yeah so the blackwell Weekly Sun ran with the headline Outlaw Killed and the gorgeous subheader of Desperate Rifle Battle Between Officers and Bandit and then the third header Shots Exchanged for an Hour and then the fourth header, they had four headers on this article, identified as one of the hunted train robbers. So (laughs) Well, the first article well, well lovey-dovey in his content didn't say crap about a ferocious gun battle no no that gets interesting right so this one talks about how um, elmer gave his life rather than to submit to capture right Mm -hmm. so here's the thing they had already captured his friend an alleged co-conspirator right yeah um the higgins guy they were looking for elmer and dave sears sears stupidly get stopped by the cops that night with a cask of whiskey that he had on the damn train oh with him. Oh my god. So the Popo, just like Popo now, they take the whiskey and they took his thirty thirty rifle um, which is not what people generally used in the area in Oklahoma back then and his bullets are very similar to the ones that they found uh, in the train express uh, car. Um, and then they hunt them down all in their phone because of bloodhounds who went to the place of the robbery and then followed the scent into the badlands and a bit of forest and they followed it through the trees for about a mile. Then they lost the scent. But, right. Mm-hmm. Newspaper reports don't really get into the setting of this, but I want you to imagine it all, right? 
It's now Saturday morning. You're Elmer. You're holding up in an old ass barn on the Big Caney River and Ch- at Charlie Rivard's place. And all you want to do is Saturday morning cup of coffee. Yeah, man. And you look outside, and there are these sheriffs. Robert and Stinger Fenton, the hottie, and the other guy, Richard Wallace, not the same thing as Richard <laughs> Wallace. Um, and it's dark when the cops get there. Like, it's 2.30 a.m. There's a fog. The cops decide it's not worth going after Elmer, who they have intel is in the barn, right? Because it's dark and it's foggy. So when morning comes, they're still there. I'm imagining, like, all their limbs are just, like, stiff and, like, they're tired. Um, oh, yeah. They're all hunkered down in this dugout. They're staring at the barn. They're waiting for Elmer to do something. Maybe come outside. Maybe go pee. Who knows what men do in the morning? I don't know. But he doesn't. He doesn't do anything. Elmer, this kid from Maine, basically, who grew up really wrong, and he's sick, right? He has, what do you mean? Uh, after, in his autopsy, they basically decided he had TB. Oh. So he's sick. He's in the barn. And the officers yell for him to surrender, right? And he's like, hell to the no, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he allegedly shoots first at our sexy hero, Bob Fenton. And then he shoots at Stringer. I thought Stringer was a sexy hero. Oh, they're all sexy goddamn heroes. All right, so they shoot at each <laughs> other. The shots stop after an hour, by some accounts, which is a really long time to be randomly shooting at each other. I'm like, how much ammo did Elmer have? It's right. like, like an hour. They go inside the barn, and there is Elmer. Fenton told reporters, quote, He took a shot at me first, then he took a shot at Stringer, and after that he took three shots at Wallace before we opened up. It took an hour before he dropped. I don't know which of us hit him. But this is the days before Dog the Bounty Hunter. And, you know, they're not going to give up, so they're like, I'll shoot at you until... Whenever, and they don't have little police cameras, and we don't really know. Um, but Dick Wallace and Bob Fenton, before they even get to that thing, they followed McCurdy's trail, right? And that yeah. barn is on this ranch, and they know he's in there. And allegedly that morning, they yell for him to surrender. Um, he takes his Winchester, allegedly shoots at them. The bullets allegedly fly for an hour. Before he is allegedly, again, hit in the head with one and dies, allegedly, in the arms of one of the officers. What? Yes. However, another report says that a ranch hand slunk into the barn after he stopped shooting and found him dead in there. So one of the stories from the officers is, yeah, he stopped shooting, we went in, and then he died in my arms. I believe then, the ranch hand version myself. And another version is the ranch hand is like, yeah, they made us go in. <laughs> that sounds more realistic to me. Well, you're the former cop, so you know. So as Elmer allegedly died in one of the um, Leo's arms, maybe, whatever, mm-hmm. nobody recognized who the hell he was. You know, mm-hmm. he's not from the area. So despite that, the officers tell the reporters that they have, quote, believe they have rid the county of the leader of the gang, which has been committing so many depredations in northeast Oklahoma and southeastern Kansas during the past few months. <laughs> which we know is three really bad... Bad robberies. Bad robberies. They shouldn't even been, they shouldn't even been like, being hunted down. For <laughs> I know, it's so sad. The cops should have been like, oh, they'll just 
just self-destruct in a couple more days, no worries. And the thing is that the people of the area, they actually thought locals were doing the robberies because they're like, oh, this can't be a real gang. <laughs> um, but, but McCurdy was from away. And yeah, Sirius was from there and the plunder was at his house, which was the whiskey that yeah. led them all to getting you know, caught. But everybody was looking at McCurdy, who's now dead and he can't you know, say anything, um, obviously, because he's dead and... He has a couple warrants and arrests out for his arrest, you know. Yeah. He, they wanted, if he had been brought in alive, I think they would have gotten $4,000, but he was dead, so they didn't. So, they didn't get anything? I don't think so, no. They should have gotten something. So as Billy Kelly writes all the way in 1977, for Elmer McCurdy, who is now dead, there were no trumpets blaring loudly, no violins of sympathy, not even a muffled applause. In the muddled aftermath, they tossed his carcass in a spring wagon and hauled him back to the undertaker's parlor, where he was embalmed and set out in full view of hundreds who came to gawk at the dead bad man of the plains. Yeah. That's so sad. Hey, you know what? There's no entertainment back then, so what else are you going to do? That's right. Plus, he was just... He was just a geek that wanted to be a, Poor a badass. So. I know, and I know, and it's so sad. Hopefully so, he got to view his own viewing. You mean like that would have made him happy. His dead body? Yeah. Uh, All those people coming by, he would have been excited. Well, maybe he would have been. Aid. He would have been like, yeah, I was an outlaw. Okay, well. He would have been like, yeah. We'll see how he would feel eventually. I was an outlaw. All right, anyways. Okay, so anyways, Frank... One of the guys gets some jail time, 25 years, but he breaks out of jail. Um, Lee, his brother, doesn't get convicted for any what? of the robberies. I don't know, he had a better attorney or something. Frank, however, gets caught again after he escapes from jail. And he goes and says, that's not even fucking, oh, sorry for my language. That's not even freaking Elmer McCurdy. That corpse, that's not even him. But most <laughs> people think he was lying just to make the cops look dumb. So that's it, right? Cut yeah. and dry. We've got the end of Elmer's story and his life, right? Yeah. Um, his travels around the country happened. Um, there was adrenaline and fear that happened when he came around, you know, because like he was trying to be a different person, I guess. But <laughs> Elmer, what? it's not really the end of Elmer's story because Elmer wasn't done touring the country. What? Yes. So... I would call this section, if I were writing it as an article, Life After Death. And I would begin with, step right up, folks, where you can see and hear. And you're like, what? But 10 years after the deputies put a bullet in Elmer's head in that barn, there's a newspaper article in the Pomona Progress from 1921 that begins, step right up, folks, where you can see and hear. The most hardened sinner that ever hit Pomona was here. An exhibition this morning. And from the looks of him, it would take more than a combined efforts of Scoville, Billy Sunday, Moody, Gypsy Smith, and a Hindu fakir to make him realize how hard-boiled he is. Are those all, like, racial epithets? I have no idea. I think they might are. be from 1911. God only Maybe. knows. This is 1921, actually. Or whatever, Ten still. Years later. Ugh, people. All right, so it goes on. He was a bad man in the old days back in Oklahoma, but he was tougher here in Pomona than he ever was in the old days. One of the names of this hard-handed, leather-lunged, tight-lipped fellow used 
to use was Elmer McCurdy in front of the place of business where he exhibits himself are pictures of a lot of other two-fisted two-gun men who used to make life worth dying in the old border days in Texas and Oklahoma. So basically, he goes on to say that McCurdy was so hard-boiled, however, that though his career as a train robber has ended, he continued to make money for other people. What? For four years, McCurdy lay in a basket in an undertaking parlor in Oklahoma. He was dead. But he was so ornery that he just dried up and became a regular mummy. <laughs> he was shot and died on October 7th, 1911. When the posse tried to take him in, he took poison. It is doubtful if he would have died from a mere bullet wound, so he took poison to make sure. The undertaker embalmed him, and the combination of poison and embalming fluid did the work. Today... The robber lay with some fancy embroidery stitches in his tummy and around his neck, <laughs> indicating where the doctors had tried to find out where he had, what had preserved him. His hair is blonde and thin, but he himself is a beautiful light saddle color. The barn circus brought him to town. He lived a hard life and died a hard death. Now he's tougher than ever. Yeah, so that's the real story, and obviously Elmer's story takes a twist. Like, allegedly, it's suddenly somehow unlikely that he'd die in a shootout with three guys and a limited amount of ammunition, trapped and captured by deputies, surrounded in somebody else's damn barn, and already dying of tuberculosis, so he took some poison. Hmm. Right. So, anyways, the truth is that they did put his body in a wagon in the back. They took him to the Johnson funeral home, and once they were there, they put him in a wicker basket, and this guy named William Bogue takes some photos. Cops arrive, and they're like, yeah, that's Elmer. Good enough. The undertaker allegedly removes the bullet, ties off the broken arteries, and embalms him using arsenic. And that was very common in the U.S. between 1905 and 1930. Um, And according to this blog by Terry's Place, um, two men in 1916 go to see the sheriff and the county attorney about the display of his body, right? Yeah. One of them is like, hey, this is my brother and my mom is really worried and sick in Kansas. So the county attorney says, um, you have to, to the funeral home director, like you got to turn Elmer's body over to the, to his relatives. Mm-hmm. And so these guys were not his relatives. What? They were lying. And their name really? were James and Charles Patterson. And James was the owner and manager of Patterson Carnival shows. And Charles, his brother, was a traveling salesman. So they were good at lying. So James's carnival show has stopped in Kansas nearby. And his brother told him about Elmer McCurdy's mummifying body. And so they made a little a little plan, a little devious plan. And they got Elmer's body. No way. So, yeah. Like, um, so, you know, 10 years later, he's in the news again. And this time it's the LA Times. It's a story by Bart Wheeler and Eddie Marr that begins, did you ever pay 10 cents to see a dead man in a coffin? (laughs) So they got one guy. So basically Elmer gets bought or stolen or whatever by these bros, right? Put in a carnival. And then eventually... Ends up in the hands of a guy named Dwayne Esper, according to Billy Kelly, and who writes and quotes Dwayne as saying, I got him from one of the four Cody brothers for $1,000 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I trooped him around the country and made $100,000 off Jeez of him, them. the 85-year-old man said. 
Cody kept in a barn, him in a barn for 20 years. Don't know why. He said he noticed it dehydrating. <laughs> and another guy, right, yes. said he had a brush with Elmer. And he said, back in the 1920s at my hometown of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, are, it could have been the either one after their split, were fulfilling an engagement there. In one of the sideshow tents, there was a, quote, body of the description given and billed the Oklahoma outlaw. Wow. So, I allegedly, in the tent, in a big plain pine brox, was this leathery-looking body of a guy dressed only in trousers, and he was pretty short, and there was a lady, this guy I remember saying a spiel, which allegedly went like, this is the body of Frank McCurtis, the Oklahoma outlaw, who in 1911 held up and robbed a candy train running from o between Oklahoma and Kansas. He was later surrounded in a barn by Sheriff Freeze. Well, they got a few mistakes. Yeah, man, man the, this fact is changing. It's close enough. It's close enough. So let's move forward and jump ahead in time, right? Yeah. It's now 1976. What? Yeah, we've jumped ahead Don't a lot. Don't tell me this guy's body's still around. <laughs> just hold on. It's just before Christmas. It's December, right? Yeah. And the Hartford Sentinel has a story about a laugh-in-the-dark funhouse at Long Beach Pink in California. There's a dummy there in the park, and he hangs in the gallows, right? From a mm -hmm. gallows. Day-glow red paint covers his body, and it's fluorescent, of course, because why not? It blinks in and out of your sight as you go through this ride, right, at the fun park due to the ultraviolet light that flashes on, <laughs> flashes off. And people scream when they see it, or if they're me, Carrie, they jump um, and scream. People don't if they're Sean. But they do this for years, <laughs> for years and years, until the site is contracted for the TV show The Six Million Dollar Man. And the $6 million man is using the amusement park for a set piece. The episode is called The Carnival of Spies. And Steve Austin, also known as the $6 million man, has to follow a rocket scientist from East Germany who snuck out of a convention so he can go to a bomb-to-air missile site and shoot a U.S. rocket or something out of the sky, right? And the bomber site mechanism is in a fun house. Wow. <laughs> it's dastardly right it's very dastardly. all right so i want you to imagine this because one of the guys there working for the show is a teamster like my dad and his name is chris haynes and he's been moving props into this space for yeah. the show right there are trap doors in this ride there are masks there's dark felt everywhere there's fake hair it's like spook house scary but all the lights are bright and on right yeah so it's not dark and there's a lot of light in there because the crew's setting up right that tv right. crew and there's a dummy in there painted in day glow red and fluorescent paint i guess <laughs> and chris and some other guys are like whoa that thing's weird it has glow in the dark paint and during the ride you're supposed to go by it right and then whoosh a light illuminates this hanging man right. from the gallo, and then the audio cues a scream. Then your cart turns 90 degrees and goes on, right? So Chris and his crew, again, like, they're like, what the hell is this? It's a little weird looking, like, maybe too real looking, but, you know, and every, it's light. Like, every time they walk by the dummy, their movement makes it swing really? a little bit in the air. They're like, is it made out of paper mache? Is it made out of balsa wood? What the heck? And they're curious, mm -hmm. right? 
So Chris goes over there, and some accounts say that he moves the dummy a bit for a better look, or a better shot, but he himself tells a TV crew from the BBC that he was checking it out to see, quote, if it had any genitals there, which wouldn't be on paper mache. <laughs> so the dummy's arm, when he looks, and moves his hand to see if he's got some junk. Some junk. Yeah. yeah. Some mummified junk. The arm falls off. Whoa. So you kind of imagine this guy's like, oh. And there's like, so they're all like looking at the arm and there's no wires. There's no screws. Nothing has been holding this mummy's arm together and attaching it to the mainframe of the body. And the center of the arm, quote, looks like old jerky. Oh, man. I hope he didn't eat it. And the. He's not you, baby. Sean will eat any jerky. Um, and the center looks like a bone. So it's a real arm from a real person. And that real person is Elmer. What? Yeah. So. Dude, this is like 66 years after he was killed. Yeah, it's a long time. So, like, I also want to take a pause and say that both Sean and my now dead dads, all of them, would have done the same thing and looked to see if he had junk in his <laughs> Um. So, anyways, they're all like, oh, my God. This is a little weird. So Chris convinces an off-duty cop who's hanging around and look at it. The cop goes in. He does and allegedly says, yeah, just what Long Beach needs, another dead sailor. And he freaking leaves. Like, he just <laughs> takes off. He's like, I'm off-duty. So then a safety duty, uh, sorry, a safety officer, not a safety duty, because that's a poop, but a safety officer, a firefighter, asks why the cop's laughing. He's like, Chris, what was the heck was going on? Mm-hmm. And he's like, we got a body in there, Chris has reported as saying. The firefighter goes inside, comes back out, and allegedly says, I ought to give the paramedics a call. <laughs> An emergency call happens eventually. The firefighters come with sirens and lights to, to the, the music park, right? Um, and the dispatch call was allegedly for a case of severe dehydration that was some severe dehydration right there and then the firefighters laugh allegedly because they were pranked and then leave again they thought they were pranked yeah they just thought it was all a prank really so eventually they come like maybe 24 hours more and come get it for real but the park apparently purchased elmer from a wax museum that said he was a 5,000 year old mummy in his chest and not in his head, there's a 3230 bullet. And this guy who once owned the mummy, Dave Freeman, says, Yeah, it's old Elmer, all right. <laughs> so after Elmer's death, as we know, the sheriff sold his body to that old carney who then sold it for $500 to Lewis Sonny, owner of Entertainment Ventures, as security on a loan. And he went in a little few other places between that, right? No joke. So, um, the carney, you know, eventually, like, stops being a carney, and Elmer ends up at the fun house and part of the set of the $6 million man. That's insane. So just to give you a little perspective, humans seem to have been into creepy, horrible things for a very long time and have always been willing to pay for the entertainment. The Hunger Games and the Squid Games and the Cardassians aren't really too far off the mark when it comes to voyeurism and greed, right? Not at all. And people have been entertaining kings and emperors throughout the ages, like court jesters and freaks and scary stories. Like, 
they would call people freaks in like the worst derogatory way um trying to elicit that horror and people were into that horror england's queen victoria was allegedly obsessed with general tom thumb after meeting him in 1844 and he was officially declared a human mind you the pet of the palace but he press. was a human yeah like it didn't matter that he was a counts. man he was a pet so, for a long time, a big draw for circuses and sideshows were things about physical deformities. And showmen like P.T. Barnum collected humans like they would collect zoo animals. And sometimes they created a lot of hoaxes and stories and myth around those people to right. sell those tickets. Like there was Grady Styles, the lobster boy, who was born with ectrodactylia, I think, which made his fingers fuse so that they looked like claws. Yeah. His dad had that too. Do you ever see him? No, but I've seen it. And so did two of his kids. So they were called the Lobster Family. And Grady, being stuck in this life, allegedly became abusive, and his family actually had to hire another performer, <laughs> Chris Wyatt, to kill him. Wow. And then there's the four-legged girl, there's Lionel the Lion, a man who had excess hair growth and looked like Bigfoot, honestly, but shorter. Or there's Frank Cannonball Richards, who could take two-by-four strikes to his stomach and nothing would happen to him. And he even had a cannonball launched at him from four feet away. Wow. But sideshows and circuses and carnivals didn't stop with just living performers and acts. People like Julia Pastrana was embalmed by her husband after death. They called her a human orangutan hybrid and much, much worse things. Really? Yes, and Darwin said she was a remarkably fine woman with a, quote, thick mus- masculine beard and a hairy forehead. Huh. Um, and she was so fine that they continued to have her tour after she was Oh, another dead. Curvy here. Yeah, so, like, so Elmer obviously suffered a similar fate. And when it was discovered in the 1970s, Newspaper editors had the best time creating like headlines. <laughs> kind of like me whenever our st- our town has a pot story about yeah. mar- medical marijuana. I'm like, ooh, I love these. Because you like to make puns. It's easy to get bored when you're a reporter. So, like, Outlaw hits the comeback trail, reads one, comparing him to King Tut, which is kind of cruel. Because, yeah, this guy robbed trains and he had a shootout when he was trapped by law enforcement. But he ended up on a carnival wall with a set worker checking out his junk and breaking off his arm. And not just his junk, his mummified junk. So you know his Which junk wasn't looking broken. all that good. He probably would have broken off anyways. Yeah, man. So there was another problem now, like, now that they found Elmer... Which was what to do with his body now that they knew he was a real person, right? Yeah. So he went back into a morgue waiting again and waiting Elmer. again for someone to claim him. I feel badly for yeah. him. Yeah. And, like, here's the thing. You should feel badly for Elmer. Like, obviously, he made some criminal mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. But the press made him seem like this super Midwest outlaw, this bad, bad man from Oklahoma or Nebraska but Elmer was from our state. He was from Maine. The, the, the state at the tip top of the United States known for lobsters, moose, and eventually Stephen King and lighthouses. And this poor guy, he didn't have the easiest time coming into this world. His mom, Sadie McCurdy, was from Washington, Maine. And she gave birth to Elmer in January 1880 when she was only 17 and unmarried. So it was a scandal. 
So uh. some people think that it was Sadie's cousin Charles who did the sperm donation because he lived with her family a bit, but nobody knows. Uh. But things were not good when it came to poor Sadie's reputation. So to try to protect her, her brother George and his wife Helen adopted Elmer, raised him as their own along with Charles, their biological son. And that lasted for 10 years until George died of TB. And then Sadie, his sister and Elmer's real mom, moved in to help with the boys and Helen, the widow, allegedly tells her sister-in-law, like, yo, we need to tell Elmer the truth, right? And Elmer seems okay with it at first, that he's been lied to his whole life about who his parents are. Right. But when he turned 15, he got teenagery angry, and he felt really betrayed, and he started drinking really hard, and he ran away. Jeez, and, and so Elmer. then he lived with his grandparents, but you gotta think that's a lot to deal with, man. So he lived with his grandparents for three months. He learned how to be a plumber. He came back to his mom, and he became a pretty awesome son by everyone's account, like taking really good care of her, being really protective, doting on her. So he turned his life around, right? But when he was 19, she died of some unspecified illness, and then her dad died the next month, and Elmer was just like totally out of luck, right? Poor guy. And he needed a break. You know, he yeah. wanted to get away. So he left Maine. And working as a plumber, he moved to Kansas and Missouri and then bored. He tried to try, he decided to go try to be a miner. And he moves to Kansas and Cherryville, Kansas, which sounds like a really bad porno name. Cherryville? Uh, <laughs> Cherryville and the outlaw mummy. Um, but <laughs> then the official. <laughs> bunch of virgins who get banged by a ghost, huh? Yeah, man. So, anyways, it's now, like, if we think about his, like, story of how he became to be a, a bank robber, mm -hmm. a train robber, um, is, is now 1907. Teddy Roosevelt is occupying the Philippines and Cuba, and Elmer thinks, he needs me! So he signs up for the 13th Infantry. Is that what Emmy was in, our daughter? No. Okay. I think it is. He goes to Fort Leavenworth, but the troops are already coming back. So he doesn't get to go to war, right? And he Jeez. wanted to. He spends three years there. Three really boring years. And is eventually discharged, and he starts drinking again. And he's not just drinking. He is drinking a lot. And he's arrested for possession of burglar's tools, which is like his first big arrest. Really? And that, back then, is a two to ten year sentence, right? Yeah. And so he pleads not guilty with his little friends who he had the burglar's tools with. And he weighs in jail. And that's where he meets Walter Jarrett, who says he's been out adventuring in Oklahoma robbing banks. <laughs> and Elmer, Adventuring. Um, Elmer thinks this is pretty boss apparently he goes to trial he convinces the court that he has these tools because he's just a plumber and he gets out a month passes and Elmer's out of Missouri where is he? he's in Oklahoma with Walter and Walter introduces him to everyone as Missouri McCurdy an expert craftsman craftsman from St. Joe. Oh, that's where he gets the, the safe cracking. Yeah, jobs, yeah, huh? yeah. And that's where oh, the story no. comes back around to the beginning of his life as an outlaw. Right? Yeah. And eventually, uh, Elmer, like, has, like, second thoughts. He goes to Oklahoma. Like, he, like, comes back. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that we don't really have time to talk about. 
there's a great book all about it. Um, and eventually, nobody claims Elmer's body, right? Nobody from Maine is like, hey, that's my great, 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 great uncle or something. That's crazy. So Carter. he goes to Oklahoma, and he's kind of a celebrity because it's such a weird story. And all the news is all over it. And a hotelier in Guthrie, Oklahoma, where they finally end up burying Elmer, starts taking people on tours to his grave. So he's finally buried, but people are still making money off of Elmer's dead body. Who's taking him on tours? A hotel owner oh my in Oklahoma. Word. And the town where he's buried, her name is Becky Luker, yeah. and she charged guests to visit the cemetery she purchased the lots next to Elmer's for $200, saying she's going to be buried there, too, so she can go on the cemetery. And she has murder mystery weekends for visitors to her inn, and Elmer is one of the big highlights. Well, good for her. But other residents are all upset, and they're like, she's a devil worshiper and a witchcraft and Satanist, because why not? It's That's just right. a woman trying to make some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the city created some ordinance. They go after Becky's business, the Redstone Bed and Breakfast, saying she needs a sprinkler system. Her attorney's like, hell to the no. The building has no wood, and it's exempt from the building and official and code administration's rules. Stop, like, targeting our Becky. Right. And Becky was actually on the city council, but she had to resign because they all got mad at her about this, but also because she had done some land speculation and oil and gas ventures with a partner when she lived in New Mexico and got in a little <laughs> trouble and didn't tell anybody. So, to make it all even more fun, yeah, her bed and breakfast was the topic of a 2006 article in the Oklahoman for being haunted. Really? And she said there, when we first moved here, my younger son encountered this little girl twice on the third floor where we had a toy closet. One time he went upstairs in the morning to get into his toy closet when he saw this little girl sitting on the floor playing with his toys. It really kind of frightened him. <laughs> she goes on to say, he came downstairs and said he wasn't going back up there until she came down. And that was the first time we had actually said the G word. The G word. Ghost? You got it. So apparently Ooh. Becky's... Bed and breakfast, hopefully profitably, is haunted by the original owner of the house, which was the most expensively built house at the time, constructed for the whooping cost of whopping cost? Whooping whopping. Cost, of $11,900. And it was built for the Houghton mm. family, and the patriarch owned cotton oil mill and stores, and his little girl, Irene, ate, allegedly had the whooping cough and died of an overdose of medication. Oh, no. I know. Many guests, she said, have been awakened by the impression of a little girl softly stroking their face only to find they were alone in the room. She haunts a stone lion in. So, to make it even better, that house became a funeral home after the Houghtons left, and it's even been on Ghost Hunters. Really? Yes, and is on a lot of lists for the top spookiest places in Oklahoma. But we don't think that's because of Elmer. I was going to say, what does that have to do with Elmer? Nothing, nothing. But, like, there is a really <laughs> great book by Mark Svenvold all about Elmer McCurdy. And it's called yeah. Elmer McCurdy, The Life and Afterlife of an American Outlaw. And, like, I don't know. What do you think about this, babe? I think that's a crazy story. Yeah. Like, the poor guy. I know. I mean, his poor body traveled around for, like, 66 years. So many people made so much From money off of that. 1911 to 1977. Yeah. And he had to lose an arm to probably finally get married. 
Because people were trying to look at his junk. <laughs> I mean, in real life, that might be okay, but in the afterlife, it's not cool. Yeah, man, but like... Losing an arm just to get your junk cleaned with? Oh, my Jeez. God. Anyways, it's really kind of sad because, like, you know, he was obviously grew up poor, right? I mean, yeah. And kind yeah, of got desperate. Forgot about the whole Maine connection. Yeah, man, actually. he's from Maine. He grew up poor in rural Maine. Like at one point, like uh, everybody you know, in his like family. A story that would happen to a Mainer, honestly. At one point, everybody in his family lost their jobs yeah. because of just like the economy. Already. And they were like going door to door doing seamstress work and not at Reddy's. Jeez, some crow. And like it was really <laughs> dire for them, you yeah. know? Like, and, and then, you know, you can see how he's kind of motivated by the glory of the cowboy outlaw thing, but also just getting some damn money and having right. a life and an adventure and getting some whiskey and all these people, he dies and then all these other people make way more money off of his dead body than he ever got to a, make in his that life. That one guy made a hundred grand. Yeah. That one made hardly a hundred bucks. I know. Isn't that kind of sad? Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, and at one point, like in between all that, he had gone to this town and he'd been doing really, really well. People were loving him. He was yeah. like part of the community. Like he was doing great. And then he got really drunk at a bar and bragged that he had killed somebody, which everybody yeah. thinks is a lie. And so then he lost his job because the guy was like, you can't be talking like that. And so his one real shot at um, respectability where he was actually building a life. He screwed that up. Yeah, man. It's just sad. Poor Elmer. Elmer did not do well with the drink. <laughs> I don't think Elmer did well with much. I know. It's so sad. But anyways. It's a great story. Yeah, but you gotta wonder about our society. Where we're all like, let's gawk at the dead people. Maybe we gotta start checking out things at the haunted houses and <laughs> more closely. <laughs> well, we salute you, Elmer. We're sorry that you were a bad guy and did some naughty things, but we don't think you deserved all that. Not all that. Not all that. Christ, you don't deserve to lose an arm. You probably didn't deserve to lose your life or either. Or die of dehydration. <laughs> dehydration. <laughs> Severely dehydrated. I wonder if he was in the Six Million Dollar Man episode at all. I don't that think they got it. That would be so cool, but I doubt I it. I doubt it, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you so much. Try to stay healthy and alive. That's right. And if you're going to use some nitro, know what you're doing. <laughs> no joke. That was an idiot. <laughs>